You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox, as I have been since February 17th, 2017, making this, this episode, our our five-year anniversary. That's incredible. It's an incredible thing to say. I, I am so grateful that you, the listener, have listened, that you checked out an episode, maybe because a favorite comedian of yours was on it, and then kept with it. I, I created this show hoping to have a level of conversation about comedy that I felt just wasn't being had, or at least wasn't being had in public. And I feel like we, as in my guests, you and I, have succeeded in this mission. I I take this art form so seriously. It, it's silly. I know it's embarrassing that I do, but that's who I am, and I, I appreciate you indulging. Um the, the fact that you listen and engage with this show it, it is extremely validating. So so thank you. I just want to thank all the show's producers from throughout its run. Jordan Bell, Jennifer Lai, Nick Rad, Mike Comite, Art Chung, Hannah Rosen, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Uh, thank you to Neil Janowitz, my boss at Vulture, and Manny Getachew from the business side who championed this show. Without them, it would have been just a one-season little thing. Thank you to anyone who's ever engineered this show or done tape syncs uh, along the way. Thank you to my family and friends for indulging me being like this all the hours I am not recording the podcast. And thank you to comedians, the, the comedians who have been guests and trusted me with their stories and their mental processes and their art, and the comedians who have listened and learned something from the show. It means everything. To celebrate, we wanted to do something, and this definitely will be something. Uh, we are calling it a laughing palooza. A sort of greatest hits of the greatest moments of the laughing round, which is like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's the laughing round. We sadly couldn't include everyone, but I think this episode gives a nice glimpse of the, the, the journey and the range of the show. We're going to start with one of the best reactions we've ever had to the laughing round sound, which I do for the record know is uh, shrill and annoying, and it, it comes from Mr. Eric Andre. So thank you again and enjoy. So that sound means it's time for our, our final segment, which is our the laughing round. It's like a lightning God, round. God, that sound was incredible. My ears are bleeding from that magnificent sound. It was like God's lips were pressed against my ears. 
exactly. It's a, it's a wonderful sound. You know um, what I mean? Jesse yeah. Fox. I hear that sound every time and I'm like, what is what a sound? It's Pavlovian. I'm like salivating for my sushi whenever I hear that sound. It's like Pavlov ringing the bells for those dogs. <laughs> let's hear it. Let's hear it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. There it is. Fucking love that shit, man. That that sound is a son of a bitch. I know, totally. I mean, I know. It's you my sound. You know what I'm saying, my man. Come on, Jesse. <laughs> There's that sound again. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. Since it's an audio podcast, I should let you know that he is putting his fingers in the air as if he's, I guess, yes, shooting but guns. Yes, that sound is put in afterwards, they're going to, no explanation needed. <laughs> yes. The first question I usually ask my guests in the laughing round is if they have a favorite joke joke, like like a street joke or, or a dad joke. The first four jokes that made the Palooza are, are from Anthony Jeselnik, Bo Burnham, Cecily Strong, and Dulce Sloan. One of my, uh, I, there's a comedian joke that I love that only comedians would get. I don't know if you guys will even laugh at it, where a comedian takes his girlfriend home to meet his parents. And right before they walk in the front door, he turns around to her and goes, what do you want me to say about you? <laughs> no one understands that. It's like an MC will always be like, what do you want me to say about you before you go on stage? So it's like a funny comedian thing. My favorite joke, joke, street joke, uh, a traveling salesman is going down the street, going house to house. He knocks on a door, and an eight-year-old boy answers. And he's wearing lingerie, women's lingerie, a silk robe, smoking a cigar, and holding a glass of scotch. And the salesman says, "Uh, little boy, are your parents home? And the little boy looks at him and says, what the fuck do you think? Uh, it's a long joke, is it okay? It's fine. Um, a guy is having sex with his wife, and she can't um, orgasm. This is bad. <laughs> She's having sex with his wife, and she can't orgasm, so he goes to the doctor. Mm-hmm. This guy's name's John. <laughs> the doctor says, uh, he goes, my wife can't orgasm. He says, do you have an AC? He goes, no. He goes, well, sometimes when women aren't cold and they get too hot, they can't orgasm. So if you don't have an AC, get a friend and have him waft a towel <laughs> over you while you have sex, and then she'll orgasm. So John calls his friend Steve. So that night he's fucking his wife, John is, and Steve is wafting a towel. Fucks her for about 20 minutes, she's not coming at all. So John goes, all right, Steve, we've got to switch. This is bullshit. Steve, Steve starts fucking his wife, he's wafting a towel. <laughs> a minute later, she orgasms, and he says, see, Steve, that's how you waft a fucking towel. <laughs> uh, so here's one. How many mice does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Two, but how you get them in there? <laughs> And then I really like the two whales at the bar joke. Do you know that one? No. So two whales are sitting at a bar and one turns to the other and he goes, and the other one goes, man, you are drunk. (laughs) You can really take your time with that one too if you Mm -hmm. want. Uh, Baron Vaughn has a joke that I saw him do years ago where he says, uh, this is my impression of a black woman in the ocean. And it's, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And he does his neck and it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's my favorite thing.
The next set of joke jokes come from Jenny Slate, Joe Firestone, the Lucas Brothers, and Mike Perbiglia. Um, my favorite joke to do, I guess, is like kind of a prank. And it's, it's like when you drive by a stranger and you roll down your window and you're like, hi, Linda. And then the person just looks and they don't know what happened. Um, is that a joke? That counts. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, also, I love um, pantsing. Pantsing. <laughs> it, only in the house. Only in the oh, house. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't like do that in the world, obviously. Okay. Uh, a, duck, a duck walks into a bar and is like, uh, you got any grapes? And the bartender's like, no, get out of here. No. And then the next day, Duck walks into the bar, same bar. It goes, you got any grapes? And the bartender's like, I told you we don't have any. Get out. If you come in here one more time, I'm going to nail your feet to the floor. And then the, um, the Duck comes in the third day. He goes, you got any nails? The bartender's like, no. You got any grapes? Pretty solid joke. <laughs> Well, I've been listening to a lot of Red Fox, and uh, he says some things that, I mean, you know, it's not the most clever thing, but he did this one joke where he was like, uh, I don't know if this is my favorite joke, but he said uh, he saw these two dudes in the audience, and one dude had a bald head, and the other guy had a bald head, and he said, if these two dudes put their heads together, they'll make an ass. (laughs) (laughs) This is... (laughs) Did he call them ass head? (laughs) (laughs) This is another Red Fox joke. Uh, (laughs) So he was talking about race relations in a Red Fox way. And there was a black mayor and LBJ, London Banks Johnson. They were at a bathroom at a stall. And LBJ looks down into the uh, uh, stall of uh, Carl, Stokes. Carl Stokes. And then LBJ asks Carl Stokes, oh, man, how'd you get that? Referring to his penis. And then Carl Stokes says, oh, before I have sex, I, I, I tap my penis on the bedpost three times. <laughs> and then uh, LBJ was like, well, God, I'll be damned. So he goes home uh, to Ladybird, Lady <laughs> and he taps his uh, penis on uh, the bedpost three times, and then Ladybird said, is that you, Carl Stokes? <laughs> 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 Which is one of the greatest jokes. <laughs> I listen to it repeatedly because it's brilliant. This is something Henry Phillips, who's a great comedian, he did that movie Punching the Clown. Did you ever see that? And then you did a sequel to it. It's really great. Anyway, Sir Silverman's in it. The, it's great. Henry's great. And I've, I've toured with him quite a bit. And he has this joke construction that I think he and a friend of his created. It's sort of a cat skills joke construction. And it's not mine, but I, but I use it a lot. <clears throat> Which is, um, it's two-pronged. So it's like I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pick up some clothes in, uh, in, in, in that, uh, that state that Trenton's in today new jersey new jersey's new pants new underwear new socks i mean i, I really need a whole new wardrobe <laughs> so this is a, it's like a car trip game yeah right so you do that on car trips so you go like uh I, i'm literally thinking of what yeah. you, you know um you know susan collins is gonna have a tough race up in that state in portland in 2020 uh oregon oh maine mainly but also <laughs> partly you know even in the districts are gonna be hard <laughs> that joke is <laughs> It's uh, I forgot the name of it. There's a, it's like a street joke. It's but like it, a but joke like joke. that rhythm, the when you interrupt people, I forgot. There's like, there's a name that is has there a, a name for it? Yeah. Well, it's like an well, old vaudeville style. Thing. It's an old vaudeville style. Yeah, yeah. Rounding out the joke jokes are Pete Holmes, Roy Scoville, and Vanessa Bayer. But first off, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney as their oh hello characters, Gil Faison and George A. Geegland. Oh my god. Oh yeah, we're trying to come up with one now. Actually, we want to do this meme. Of it's so here's the idea. 
first photo, it says my plans. Second photo says 2020. And I think the fun would be if the first photo is something nice, mm-hmm. is something cool, you know, and the second yeah. photo sucks. And it should be like, so it should be like a very nice car. And then the second picture is like 2020. He's like, some dog. So that's one joke. That's one I mean, joke. I'm, I think like, I don't know. I, you know, here's my joke is, you know, if you ask him what a, a joke, then I would say this administration, you know, um, not, not the president. I think actually Trump's doing a pretty good job keeping things in, in, in charge. I mean, this, um, the administrator at the Y that we go to, um, that's this administration, meaning the Y, the administrator of the Y yeah. has been terrible. Okay, so the locker room's not a steam room, so you can't just sit there naked all day. Fine. You don't have to yell and involve other people. Yeah, oh, it's closed. We're not supposed to be swimming in the pool because the whole gym is closed. Le- Bye, gone Jesse. during the laughing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesse, you came and you did it by day. You left us. Oh, Jesse. You left a podcast and we miss you. And now I'm changing this song to Jim Andy. Jim, (laughs) Jim, Jim Andy, you're Jesse in podcast language now. He ain't afraid of no ghost. We got Jesse David Fox on the ones and twos now. What are you saying about the administration? JDF, the Jewish Defense Fund, back on the podcast. Back in the podcast. What are you saying about the administration? This administration, the Y, the administrator at the Y, this administration is the joke. We're talking, of course, about the YMCA administrator that says, we're not, well, oh, sorry. We're, oh, oh, excuse me. We're not allowed to be at the YMCA right now because it's closed. So we're not allowed to hang out in the locker room fully nude. Okay. And when Herr so, de Blasio and the Gestapo of New York funny. State very decides to let the Yankees play again, we'll get to see YMCA half heartedly acted out by the guys raking the field. Doing it with one hand, with a look that seems to say, I want to die. I want to die. I'm so hot. I'm so hot and I'm so humiliated. The day they told us we had to do this, I was humiliated. Uh, Do you have a favorite joke joke? Yes. It's not, you're not going to like it though. It's okay. (laughs) I like most of these. Two old ladies were driving in a car. They blow through a stop sign. She goes, Ethel, you blew through a stop sign. Ethel goes, am I driving? (laughs) The other one is long and it ends with the guy with a fork poking his skin going, fuck your canoe. You can Google it. The one I think of is one my dad would say all the time. And it was, um, um, what did the fish say when it swam into the wall? Damn. (laughs) He loved it. He loved that joke so much. He would tell me, he would tell my brothers and sisters, he would tell people. And we were like, that joke is so stupid. And yet, I'm like, what a great little thing to have in your back pocket. Because <laughs> it is stupid. And, pe- and I'll see people doing a laugh. They go, huh. <laughs> yeah, I think he would say huh, A fish cute. would say Yeah, a fish would That's say cute. that. That's cute. And you're a grown adult who said that. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> this is so long. It might it's be okay. so boring. It's okay. There was this 
guy who was hunting this moose hunter. He was uh, hunting moose in the woods. And there was this other guy and um, who was like walking around the woods and he saw the moose hunter and he was like, he like yelled over to him from like a mile away. He was like, hey, don't shoot me. I'm not a moose. And then like the day progressed and like now they're like getting a little bit closer. Like maybe they're like, you know, half a mile away from each other. And the guy sees the moose hunter again. He's like, hey, don't shoot me. I'm not a moose. He, like yells it to him. And then they're like, keep the day progress, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, like 200 feet away from each other. And the guy sees the moose hunter again. He's like, don't shoot me. I'm not a moose. And now they're like 10, 10 feet away from each other. And the guy yells at him. He's like, don't shoot me. I'm not a moose. And the moose hunter shoots him. And then the guy like falls to the ground and he's like, why did you shoot me? I told you I wasn't a moose. And the moose hunter goes, oh, I thought you said you were a moose. I still can't remember who told me that joke. I think I was in college. Um, Isn't that such a good joke? Sometimes when we have people who do voices on this show, I try to get them to do all of them, as this is an audio medium and voices are auditory. Uh, When they, uh, I call it an impression chain when they're going to do a series of impersonations, uh, also a character chain if they're just doing characters they do. So we have uh, James Adomian and Keenan Thompson doing impressions, and then Nick Kroll doing his big mouth characters. You do one impression of a person saying the name of the next person you're going to do the impression of saying, and so on. Okay. All right. So here we go. Let me, uh, this is, uh, I, Wow, I can't. I'm gonna try this, huh? Yeah. Okay, so I guess I'll start off with one of my favorite uh, stand-ups. All the these are all influential uh, comics on me that I think I I can do an impression of. So, uh, <laughs> so first is this great uh, stand-up and podcaster Mark Marin. Yeah, man, fuck. I don't know, we had issues back in the day, but, they, you know, he's he's a bitter Buddha. It's Eddie fucking Pepitone. That's right. I'm up here doing the work, and down there you got Todd Glass. I'm up here making people laugh when there's no reason they should, and yet Todd Glass... He gets the headline spot. Honestly, seriously, what if I thought... And honestly, seriously, I don't think this, but honestly, what if I thought... Seriously. And honestly, I swear to God, I swear to George Carlin. What if I thought... And I, Seriously, I don't think this, but what if I thought... What if I seriously... What if I honestly thought that it was going to be Andy Kindler? What's wrong? Hey, what? Hey, folks. Hey, guess what? What's wrong? You're not, you're not hyped up for the next performer? You're not... You, you, Matt, Matt Bronger. Matt Bronger. Am I bronged? Am I bright? Is there a third... Is there another pun that I could uh, shoehorn? And what's wrong? You don't like the, the last name material? Hmm? Matt Bronger? Hey, we, hey, come to my Bronger show. Hmm? Is there a third form of... Showbiz related. Hmm? It's unbelievable. It's great. Seriously, it's the most awesome. It's like, you got this guy. He's like, he's out there. You're going like, wow, take five of them. You think you think you've got it. And there it is. Wow. Unbelievable. Lewis Black. And then, and then you look yourself dead in the eyes. And there he is, staring back at you. A real fuck in the mirror. And that's Kyle Kinane. Oh, uh, well, yeah. 
figure it out. At least you look at yourself and go, well, whew, whew, at least it's not Mark Marin. Fuck, and it I started <laughs> off and it, it, the dumps on me. This is Al Sharpton, and I'm going to intro a list of characters that are going to introduce each other. Here we go. I'm Al Sharpton. I'm introducing Steve Harvey, and I'm Steve Harvey introducing Carol Mosley Braun, who's kind of just normal and happens to be a lady I played. <laughs> I didn't necessarily have a take, but that's all right. And I'm here to introduce Gwenza Jones. Gwenza Jones, man, he's got to the, the, know the person that's kind of like a living turtle. <laughs> but he leads me into Bill Cosby. They kind of have a similar kind of sound, but there's a difference. We all know what that is. And then, of course, there's Charles Barkley, who's kind of down in a different register, but becomes like more of a specific thing. You know, I'm doing it and talking about donuts. And then, <laughs> Ving Rhames. <laughs> Did you ever try a double, <laughs> a double pork porterhouse sandwich with barbecue sauce as just a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> and then Ving Rhames is introducing Dr. Cornell West. Yes. It's good to see everybody here, my brothers. And the thing that you have to get into your mind is that the man is implementing uh, different microchips into being able to trace your every location across the nation. Think about that. He's very similar to Michael Bishop. His name is Bishop Michael Curry. But I like to call him Michael Bishop because it makes me laugh. And he just wants the love. He wants everybody to know about love and reach out and touch each person that I'm talking to. Classic preacher style. I'll stop it there. Uh, well, I will start with the character of Nick, which uh, this is Nick, uh, the 13-year-old Nick. Very different than the adult Nick, uh, who is friends with uh, Coach Steve. Who is, am I doing this right now? I don't remember how the game works. This is, you know, I'm not very good with memories. Now, but, that, you know, that's fine because my friend, Mori. Maurice, the hormone monster, is here. Am I not doing I still don't think I'm doing the game right. But that's all right, because life is a game filled with cum and farts and fights and wonderful people like Lola. So, like, honestly, it's, like, actually very much an honor to be at, like, New York Magazine because, like... Ultimately, I've always wanted to be on the approval matrix, <laughs> but not near the center, like far off on the top right near like whatever like Chris and Shaw is doing these days. But hey, you know, Sebastian Stallone, he's a great guy. He's never been on the approval matrix. Maybe, you know, he does these Penables uh, 7 would be ironic. It'd be great, you know. But, oh, man, how are we going to get into the ladybug? Yeah, that's right. I'm the ladybug. And I am here to be a meta commentary on everything that just has happened as if the other characters weren't themselves filled with meta commentary about this entire process. So that's me, the ladybug. Peace, bitches. The next question you hear in the average laughing round is, what's a joke you wish you could steal? You know, it's not really stealing. It's like it's another dimension and everything's exactly the same. But but in this dimension, this joke you have 
uh, and the other person doesn't have the joke, but it's okay because it's no one knows you stole it. It's yours jokes, and you can tell it. We're going to kick off our favorite answers to that question with Aparna Nancharla, and then more Eric Andre, Hassan Minhaj, and James A. Castor. There's one that Greg Johnson does about his dog, about people messing up dog genders that really makes me laugh. I wonder, do I even know it off the top of my head? People get so offended when you mess up a dog's gender where you're like, oh my gosh, is this your dog? He's so cute. And they're like, actually, it's a she and her name is Jeremy. (laughs) It's so silly, but it's so funny. A joke, my favorite joke that I was like, why? I wish I wrote that is uh, that Patton Oswalt joke where he goes, I don't get people that like George Bush and they're not billionaires. They're like, hell yeah, man. I think George Bush is fucking awesome. He's like, holy shit, dude. How much do you make a year? They're like, I only make like $30,000 a year, man. And he's like, ah, well, fucking Bush hates you, dude. Are you kidding me? He wouldn't, he wouldn't be caught dead with you. <laughs> It's a perfect synopsis. Yeah. Is there a prank you wish you could have done? Oh, man. So many. That's a hard question to answer. I think. Uh, uh, gosh. I'm trying to think of like. I like the Bruno prank in Ollie G show where he's like. He's getting those frat boys all riled up. He's like, yeah, say hi. Get on the body pyramid. Yeah, we're all partying. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like. They're all hyped and shirtless on the beach. Like, yeah, they're doing all this like homoerotic suggestive stuff. And then at the end, he's like, all right, give a shout out to gay Austrian television. And they're like, wait, what? (laughs) What is this for? (laughs) One of my favorite jokes is actually from The Comeback Kid. And it's a story. It's the story that John Mulaney taught where he talks about his his mom meeting Bill Clinton. (laughs) And it builds to this perfect moment. And where he says, because Bill Clinton never forgets a bitch. It's like yeah. so great because to me, what's what I love the most about it is that it's 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 a long story. It's a detailed story. He also gets to use the word bitch, you know, mm. which is so not in his persona, but it's so perfect for that moment. It's great. It's just the best. And I'm like, ah, I love that. It hits on all these different levels. And I'm like, I want to be able to tell stories like that. One that always springs to mind because I think about it all the time, and it's not even a joke in his set, it's something that he said on his radio show slash podcast, it's the comedian John Robbins, um, Mm -hmm. and he mentioned on one episode, this is years ago, that uh, it was something about Johnny Vaughan, the radio DJ, and how he always... uh, practiced like his radio monologues or something, or he he practiced his big breakfast monologues, it's a show over here, in the shower. It was something like that. It was something about hearing an interview where Johnny Vaughan said he always like did a certain thing in the shower. And so every time John Robbins has a shower, he always thinks about Johnny Vaughan because of that. And it was such a small observation. And then it got to like listeners phoning in going, now every time I have a shower, mm. I think about you thinking about Johnny Vaughan and all that. And I, I, I got very jealous of that, mainly because he wasn't doing it as stand-up. And I was like, that's such a good observation about things that we hear that are so inane and little things in interviews. And then it just infects our entire mm-hmm. life. And it's all we ever think about from then on. Our next batch of joke stealers starts with John Mulaney as himself and continues with Kevin Hart, Mark Maron, and Michelle Wolf. Star-studded section. I have an answer for this. <laughs> okay, great. I would hook, line, and sinker. Steal this bit from a comedian named Joe Zimmerman about Andrew Jackson. 
where he just takes you through true facts of Andrew Jackson's life and then has the best jokes about them. I've listened to it on YouTube like a hundred times. I have fantasies sometimes about doing it. Like I'll be on the treadmill and I'll be thinking about it being my joke. And it is like, I I want, I I wish it was mine so bad. (laughs) Why do you think that is? I, I just love it. It's like, it's also, I was like, oh, that's so funny to take you through like, like to take an audience through real facts about Andrew Jackson, who's on no one's mind. Yeah. And then Joe Zimmerman brings him up and he tells you real things he did and has jokes off of them that are great. And yeah. it's, and it destroys. And <laughs> it's it's, like, I, I'm so like, I'm like, oh, that, yeah, that is what. It's like doing political comedy that's timeless because it's not like anyone is well, well, like, well, like you were saying, I, I, it, you know, I had an OJ joke 25 years after the fact, like, Imagine if no one knew about OJ. Yeah. Like uh, him taking you through the events of it. I don't want to spoil the joke. People should just look it up. Um, that is like, that is my absolute grand envy. Grand envy. I want that joke so bad. I think one of the funniest jokes ever told is, in my opinion, Eddie Murphy talking about his dad and how his dad used to get drunk and cuss everybody out at the house, you know. Tell everybody to kiss his ass. This is my house. You know, you can tell. He talk about the people. Let me tell you something, motherfucker. You can, you don't like it. You get the fuck out of my house. Like the, the drunk voice. Everything about that performance. Like that showed me that, you know, there's punchlines within the character. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't necessarily have a bunch of punchlines through the joke. He was a character and that character made people laugh. He turned into his dad. And you watch it, you learn so much. But just just all of those funny beats from Eddie Murphy becoming and talking about his father. Some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen. And it's a Bill Hicks joke. Hicks used to do this joke about, you haven't dating this woman for uh, for a year and a half. I guess it's time to, you know... Pop the big question: Why are we still going out? <laughs> uh, that's good. Bill Burr had a joke in his last special that I was I, um, I was so mad that I was like I was like that was in front of us. Any of us could have taken that joke. It was um, uh, it's the one where he's talking about like technology and advancements, and he's like, you know, like it used to be that like the driver was the only person with an airbag. So you get into an accident and then you'd survive and be like, my whole family. <laughs> I just love that joke. It was there for any of us to take. For years. For decades. Since cars were built. <laughs> and, you know, like it was, it was just, I was like, oh, he got it. Oh, it was right there. We all could have thought of that joke. Um, it makes It makes me laugh every time I hear it. The final set, before we return from the other dimension where these jokes no longer belong to these comedians, features Nate Bargatze, Patton Oswalt, Ray Romano, and Tig Notaro. One of my favorite jokes ever, Ben Bailey had a joke about filling out a job application, and then he would uh, you fill out the wrong name, mm-hmm. uh, you do the wrong line, like you miss it up. And he's like, so then you just got to go with it, and... Uh, <laughs> It, they then you sit down the interview and they're like, "So your name is uh, Ben Bailey?" And he's like, "Yes, it is." And he's like, "And you live at twenty two thirty five Ben Bailey Boulevard?" <laughs> and I just it was so funny. And then like he just keeps going down like every line, and it, like that's a joke that I like. It's like God, dude. It's like just feel, like I love that stuff when it's something that everybody's done. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, every, there's another comic, and I want to make sure I get his name, Eric Myers. He had another one that about filling out, working out a Taco Bell application. And he is, it's, uh, it's so funny, like just breaking down, like him filling it. Yeah, Eric Myers. And uh, him just breaking out like this Taco Bell, just filling out a Taco Bell application, so funny. Because it's like, did you do drugs? And he's like, of course. Like, I'm filling out a job at Taco Bell. It's like, that's insane. I don't even know the whole job. It's just, it's, it's you know, yeah. he breaks it down in such a very funny way. And so I love, you know, I like the idea when you do stuff and then break it down and then put yourself, and then you have to be in that situation. Gary Goleman has a joke about um, trying to f- uh, figure out the state abbreviations. From It's one of the, it's such a gorgeous piece of comedy writing. I love it so much. I would absolutely, if, if it could exist at a time and be mine, mm-hmm. I would take it. And then my, my runner-up would be Shane Torres's joke about Guy Fieri and Anthony Bourdain. Oh, my God. I remember seeing that and go, that, that's a joke that's so good. You can't even go, oh, my God, that was sitting right there. It wasn't sitting right there. It was so against what everyone's conventional thinking yeah. was that, that he muscled through and got to there. Oh, God, it's so great. <laughs> There's lines that... God, I wish I did that. There's one from Brian Regan, so subtle. And he says, uh, I was on the highway driving and I saw a flatbed truck of logs going this way. And then I saw another flatbed truck of logs going that way. I mean, if if you need logs over there, <laughs> that's it. That's the bit. And um, it, it's so perfect because there's no punchline and yet it's so funny. Yeah. I don't know the guy's name. If somebody can write into your show and tell me who this guy is. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles over 20 years ago, I think I was at the Laugh Factory. And this guy, (laughs) it's so dumb. It's so dumb. (laughs) Uh... He was like, yeah, apparently whatever percentage of all shark attacks happen closest to shore. And he's like, well, that's where all the people is. (laughs) Simple. (laughs) Man, if you had that joke, everything would be different. Yeah. I love that joke. I mean, that's, that is. That is where all the people is. The next question in the Laughing Palooza is, is a more recent addition to the list. Do you, meaning the guest, have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian, living or dead, that you're willing to share with us? Dan Harmon, Margaret Cho, and Robert Jr. all did. Oh, and they'll all be followed by Martin Short, who has like a million. When I was a kid in Milwaukee, me and my friend Rob Sharp worked the backstage of the comedy tent at Summerfest. So all these A-list comedians would come through. I met John Stewart, Louis Anderson, like old-time A-listers like Richard Belzer, like kings of the road craft yeah. coming through. But then also like anybody that was like a superstar, like watching watching a pre-daily show John Stewart, like rule a tent of 3,000 people was really inspiring not by virtue of his edginess by virtue of his just fucking like he just like he's just, he just controlled the crowd yeah. i always would just ask these guys any advice for you know because i'm just there and i'm a yeah. kid and like excuse to talk to them 
and uh, Tom Kenny, uh, Rob and I asked him, like, got any advice for young young comics? And Tom Kenny said, go through your set list and cross off every single joke that doesn't make you laugh out loud. Hmm. And we were like, that's most of our oh. <laughs> and that's when I realized, like, when you watch Patton Oswalt do a strong 10 minutes at a showcase or whatever, like, it, like that's not 10 minutes of him writing out a legal pad. <laughs> that is 10 minutes that's been hewn, like, yeah. over countless like okay this stays this goes and i it it, it yeah that that was because it, it, that was cool because not only did it teach me i was probably always going to be a bad stand-up but it also i was able to carry that advice into like keep that standard that yeah. high for everything you're not you don't, don't go by what you think is going to make other people laugh that's like a shadow of nothing like yeah. what, what your perception of what's going to make other people laugh would be like you're going to do a got milk joke you're going to be like got boogers <laughs> Because you hate Where? people, you have you 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 think other people are dumb. Like yeah. you're gonna write comedy for other people. You're gonna write dumb comedy. Uh, write it for yourself. The terrifying thing about that being like, oh my god, I'm never gonna finish. Yeah, how's this gonna be funny? I hate myself. Well, just quit at five. Um, do you have any Joan stories? Joan um, was so. Um, just like she was so quiet, like in a week, like very quiet in a way. It, and you would never expect that from her. And I met her in, um, I think in the nineties and she was like giving me an award for something and she wanted to be friends. And she was like making it very like clear that she wanted to be friends with me. And then she just launched her jewelry line on QVC that I'll send you some of my jewelry. And I told her at that time, I didn't wear, I go, I don't wear jewelry. And she turned her back to me and didn't talk to me for two years. So <laughs> after she got over the fact that I didn't wear jewelry, we, we sort of became friends, but she was really shocked by that. Wanda Sykes, man. She, um, mm. it's like some family business level advice, but she gave me some really great career advice during the shutdown, reached out to me. I didn't even mm. seek her out, but Wanda Sykes, um, I could say for sure, has held me down. Um, like, what's a legendary? Like, Ron White's legendary to me. Like, sure. it, I opened for Ron White one time. I just I made an ass of myself in front of Ron White in the entire green room. Um, at the time, I didn't have the perspective that I have now on what. <laughs> I didn't have the perspective on how rich some comedians are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ron White does that to you. Yeah, because Ron is so, exactly, Ron White is so regular. Man, fucking, I'm opening for Ron White, and I'm, I'm a little buzzed, and I get it in my head backstage after the show. I go, hey, Ron, uh, what time you going to the airport in the morning? I drove here. I'm more than happy to, I have a Ford Focus. I'm more than happy to drive you to the airport. He goes, Roy. I'm leaving tonight. It's like midnight in Huntsville. I'm like, mm -hmm. you got a flight tonight? Man, what, what airline flying out this late at night, Ron White? Roy, I have a plane. And then he points to a guy on the other side of the room. 
that's my pilot. <laughs> it's a fucking airline pilot. And I, it hadn't even done. I thought this dude was just wearing a captain shirt because this is a fucking weirdo. But no, it's a real goddamn airline pilot. So, yeah, you learn to stay in your place. <laughs> <laughs> Usually in this segment, I ask people to tell stories of a legendary comedian um, living or dead. You obviously have tons. I'm going to ask <laughs> for more than one. Can you tell a, a Gilda story? Well, Gilda was kind of magical. I'd never met anyone. I was 22 to Gilda's 26 when I met her. And then we became boyfriend-girlfriend for a couple years. And it was amazing. At 22, I didn't know about life. To me, it was like, if you're brilliant and everyone worships you, aren't you the happiest person mm -hmm. in the world? I didn't realize that wasn't necessarily true. But I had never met anyone who had such a powerful, um, created such a powerful reaction of people yeah. in the room. Everyone, if Gilda arrived at a party, she was sure, every guy wanted to go out with her and every girl wanted to have her as the best friend they'd ever had. There was something um, magical about her. Yeah. Uh, John Candy? John was the sweetest human being. John was exactly who you'd hoped he would be. Um, I remember in the early days when we were all like doing stage and every time we'd go out for dinner, John would pick up the tab. And the way him, I'd say to Nancy, he makes the same money I do. How does he? So he was kind of like a Ralph Cramden character. Mm -hmm. You know, you got it, you go with it. Generous to a fault, funny. Um, he did a character, Johnny LaRue. And there were so many elements of Johnny LaRue that were John. Mm -hmm. Particularly that. <laughs> that was John's laugh. Um, he was just adorable. So funny. So sweet. Um, Jan Hooks, who played... Jan is the unsung genius in comedy. I know she's revered, and I know that Tina and Amy will say she's our girl as far as who they aspire to, and I get it, and still she's an unsung genius. She was incapable of not being a genius when you work with her. Mm -hmm. Funny and loose, improvised, you know, um, eccentric... So funny. Love to laugh. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Uh, Robin Williams. Oh, Robin. Robin was so s sweet. He was as sweet as you'd think he'd be. Um, I think it's in my book, but the, when he... It was in 1980, and I was doing a TV series, and he was doing Mark and Mindy. And the writers were going to go on strike, and we were at a party. and said, oh, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go back to Second City and join it. I'm going to go back into the company just because this strike was going to go on for months. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Maybe I'll come up and join you. I said, yeah, sure. That'd be great. And then he just flew up one night and went right to the theater, brought no clothes, just spontaneous. And he went right to Second City, the fire hall, joined me on stage, fell off the stage that night because it was a small little weird stage and fell onto a table got red wine all over his linen pants, had brought no clothes. And then he was staying with me. He stayed for a week at my house as he did the shows. But Nancy took his linen pants seeing the, when he was sleeping and washed them, shrunk them. And then he came down for lunch that day and his pants were like this short. And he said, you know, I'll go home and I say to Valerie, I swear I didn't fuck anybody. I don't know why my pants are four inches shorter. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, do you have a Charles Grodin story? Oh, Groden. Well, I mean, Chuck was just so 
so perfect to work with. I mean, there's a famous scene from Clifford, or its famous scene, um, where he is reprimanding me, and so much of what he's doing is improvised. Look at me like a human boy, you know, that, that Pittsburgh accent of his. And he was so, and every take was different. And, um, you know, I just saw The Heartbreak Kid, the Lane May movie, and it's, I think, one of the top three comedy performances ever. Mm -hmm. But he was lovely and funny. We'll be right back with more of The Good One, Fifth Anniversary, Laughing Palooza. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And we're back with more Laughing Around highlights from the past five years. Next up is maybe my favorite question we ask in this section, um, which is, what's a joke you have that, that has never worked? It never does well, but you're convinced it's funny. You've tried it, you tried it, but audiences do not get it, but you will go to your grave being like, I was right, they are wrong. And I, and I love this because when you take something that is not funny or does not work, but put in the context of this does not work, it is actually funnier than when you're trying to say it is funny and it does work. And the comedians seem to really appreciate having a place to put this material. We're going to start this section off with an incredible story from Burt Kreischer that, while it sounded great on the pod, he can't quite figure out how to make it work on the stage. I mean, I have a story about swallowing a fly uh, that I think is brilliant that I just haven't fit in anywhere and I can't fit in. I had a joke about dolphins and strip clubs. I had a joke about strip clubs, but like that I, every time I would go to it, I would be like, why doesn't anyone liking this? Like mm -hmm. it was the, it was that I, I, they always have different versions of women in strip clubs, like meaning blonde haired, little bigger, a little darker, Italian, Latin, you know, Russian, blonde, big tits. And I was like, what if they had different eras of women? And they're like, put your hands together. For Martha, she's from the 1900s. Her her town calls her a witch, and you're gonna find out why. Martha, like that. Everyone always was like, huh? Um, 
I, I want to tell the story so badly and I don't know how to do it, but I want to tell the stories from Travel Channel mm. because for whatever reason, they're isolating. I drank goat's blood with a Maasai chief one time and I just, it just never turned, people, it was like so far removing. Like There were things about Travel Channel when I'd share the experiences, it was almost like they would be like, wait, what? Like, how am I, where, how, who is this guy? What are we supposed to be listening yeah. to? Um, drank goat's blood with the Maasai chief, ran motorcycles through rice paddies in Vietnam, was the first person to jump off the stratosphere. I want to tell that stratosphere story so well because it's such a good story. Let me just give it to you real quick. It's sure. such a good story is that I was told I was the first person to jump off the stratosphere. That's why they flew me out. I was working for Travel Channel. It's an 1,100 foot free fall. It's controlled descent. It was supposed to be amazing. I'm so scared knowing that I'm going to be the first person to do it. And then I get there and they're like, Listen, because of time, we're not going to be able to ha- interview people that have already done it, like people that have done it. So we're going to interview people who've done it already. And I was like, what do you mean people have done it already? I'm the first person. Yeah. And they're like, no, obviously they've sent people off this at the edge of this. I mean, they, they don't do it with just water dummies. They've done it with people. And yeah. so I was like, well, who is it? And they had, they had what did they had done is they had been offering $100 to anyone that worked as an employee at the casino to jump off during their lunch break and they would get a hundred bucks every time they jumped. So what you got was a bunch of really down on their luck, kind of broke people. Yeah. Now tr- clearly worked for the casino, you know, like a, like a, an 80 year old Vietnamese woman is who I talked to dressed in a jumpsuit, like at her, her uniform under the jumpsuit. And I remember I said, um, I said, how, how was the jump? And she went, fine and i was like and i was like i was like what what made you want to jump and she said my son's in prison and i was like what she goes my son's in prison so i just jump as many times as i can i eat my lunch in the elevator and i jump and i'm like wait what and they're like okay yeah yeah i'm sorry we've paid these people to jump so so like ma'am and they were making her script answers and her answers were so fucking hilarious and then one answer that meant a ton to me was she i said is it scary she said, first time, no. Second time, terrifying. And I went, why? She goes, because you know it might not work this time. And I went, whoa. So I go to jump off the stratosphere, and I tell them at the last minute I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to jump. I don't want to jump. It's, t- I'm, it's, You know what? I can't do it. I'm terrified, and I can't do it. And my executive producer, Dan Adler, says, you don't have to do it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to jump. I said, what? He said, all I need you to do is get my viewers to the fourth act. The fourth act is you on the edge. If you don't jump or don't jump, it doesn't matter. We don't lose numbers in the show. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, so don't jump. Get on the edge, get scared, start crying, freak out, have a fit, and walk off, and we'll be fine. I was like, oh, cool. I'm not going to jump. So I tell the crew, I'm not going to jump. I'm going to get to the edge. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It'll be, I'll make a big scene. It'll be fine. So like, yeah. okay. So we get to the edge. I'm on the side. My cameraman, Scott Sands, is hooked into the side of the building. He's not even on the, he's like dangling off the building. And he says to me, hey, man, if I were you, I'd jump. I said, what? And he goes, he goes, it's your show. Your name's on the show. This will be in the, in the, in the trailer for the show. This will be in there. And people are going to be like, he jumped off a building. And he goes, and I got to be honest with you, the mayor's down there with, with, uh, with David Copperfield. I was like, what? And he goes, look down. I look down, and there are 400 people at the landing zone to watch me jump, be the first person that jumps. He's like, he's got shots of tequila. There are doves. The mayor's there. The owner of the casino. Steve wins. That like he's naming all these names, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, fuck it, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping. And they're like, what? And I go, I'm jumping, I'm jumping at three. And I and he goes, all right, all right, are we ready? Are we ready? And I go, I'm jumping right now. Like three, two, one. I jump, I land, 
and it is absolutely magical. It is magical. It's one of the best experiences of my life. And I deliver a speech to the big wings of <laughs> Las Vegas that is absolutely moving. This is the best thing I've ever done since the birth of my second child. This is what life's about, is taking moments like this. I grab the tequila, I shoot it. Doves fly out from me. David Copperfield does a magic trick, delivers it to me. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Everyone walks off. My producer comes up to me and she goes, we didn't get it. I said, I go, what? And she goes, we didn't have audio down here. We have a camera, but you said you weren't going to jump. So I didn't have audio set downstairs. So we didn't get it. And I'm like, are you shitting me? She's like, we need to get, we need you to do it again. And I'm like, do it again. This is what the Asian lady said is terrifying. The first one was fun. This one's terrifying. So I get in the elevator. I go up to the top. I get on the edge. Now there's no fucking fanfare. Like I'm up there and they're like, you ready to jump? Now I have to jump. There's no getting out of this. I am definitely jumping. And all I know is this will be terrifying. So I go up, I get on the edge. They have audio down there. I'm supposed to recite the same speech. I jump. I, as I'm coming, I go this, what if this doesn't work? And my heart is racing. It is terrifying. And it the last second. It saves my life. When I stand up, I am like freaked out. I'm not happy. I cannot deliver the speech. I'm like, ha ha ha. And all I see is that same lady on the fucking that, that I did the interview sweeping up. She's the only one there. She's sweeping up. She goes, what did I tell you? <laughs> I was like, fuck, fuck. It's such a good story. I want to figure it out for stage, but it's like, I got to be back in clubs for that one. I can't do that yeah. in drive-ins. Yeah. Our next few joke flops come from Brian Regan, Chelsea Peretti, Hannibal Burris, and Joel Kim Booster. The joke is, uh, I've tried it a few times. I've tried it a bunch of times. Say a bunch. But it's worked like once or twice, and usually people just kind of scratch their head like, I don't get this. So here's the joke. Um, and I'll set this up by saying other comedians have said, you need to put information before you do this. Here's the information that comedians say needs to be there. It kills me when a publication comes out with a list of anything. Top mm -hmm. 50 bass guitarists, top 25 um, restaurants. doesn't matter what it is. As soon as they come out with that list, people get outraged at the list and the order of things and who's not on the list and why, why is this person on number three and number two? So my joke is that I'm intrigued at the power that readers give to these people as if this list means anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. So the joke is, so the other day I'm just sitting around, you know, and uh, I, I didn't have anything to do. So I grabbed a scrap piece of paper and I wrote at the top, Brian Regan's list of the world's top 10 sandwiches. So, you know, I wrote one through 10 and then I put a lot of thought into it and I wrote the top 10 sandwiches out in the order that I thought they should be in, you know, my top 10 sandwiches. So I'm finished with the list and I'm like, now what? So I walk around my neighborhood and I just tacked it to a tree and went home. Well, I thought that was the end of it. Five minutes later, there's this furious pounding at my door. I open the door, and there's a guy there who yells, ham and cheese is only number six! And I tried to explain to him that he was free to have his own thoughts, but he would have none of it. That's, I think it's great. That's the joke. I think it's a great joke. There's a lot of jokes like that, and the thing that's cool about doing stand up longer is you figure out ways to make them work. You know, you'd be like, I've tried to make this 
work for so long and I finally did. In fact, one that comes to mind is I was trying to do this bit about people who have their dogs off leash in flagrant mm-hmm. violation of leash laws. But the re- I think the reason it was never really working is because everyone fucking has their dogs off leash. So it's like the entire audience is like, well, we don't see a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I'm like, I'm like, come on, get on board. So I don't know, but I, I think I could do it. I just haven't figured it out yet. You're observing everything and like you're the only person on earth that thinks this is a problem. Right. And I have to figure out how to implicate people, but make them feel like it's fun to be implicated. <laughs> Uh, it's not one that I tried over and over, but I haven't, I haven't talked with mm-hmm. anybody at length since this show. So I did the Rose Bowl with Thundercat for drive-in show. And so I, uh, was just thinking of ways to try to make the drive-in experience exciting. Mm-hmm. And I got, uh. I got a uh, I got a spaceship, and so the first show was during the day, and I was first, and so it was daylight. So the spaceship kind of did well. I was moving through the crowd, the spaceship doing crowd work. Second show I went on late. It was dark, so I think the spaceship wasn't really showing up well on mm-hmm. the big screen. So besides the people right around the spaceship. They, the rest of the folks weren't really getting the spaceship energy. And so I was out there in a spaceship and... Wait, what, what was, do you mean by a spaceship? I think Burning Man, but like a spaceship, like a spaceship got car. It. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and so one of those kind of vehicles, I'm moving through and I'm in the spaceship and I don't know if it was just I was off rhythm or because it's drive-ins. The vibe wasn't there, but I was by, I was like in the spaceship and it was just this quiet moment. And I just had this existential, like, am I just out here in a field in a spaceship right now? And it was like this other pineapple vehicle behind me. And I was going to do some spaceship stuff and then I was going to be in a pineapple vehicle, but that moment of panic, I bail on the spaceship bit and go back on stage just because mm-hmm. it was just too, it was just in that moment, it was just really quiet and I was just out and about in the spaceship and I, I didn't, I didn't commit to the bit enough. <laughs> so to all the kids listening, if you rent your spaceship for your show or any other type of novelty vehicles, make sure that you commit to a spaceship because you still gonna have to pay the full spaceship <laughs> rental fee, no matter if you bail on a bid or not. So if you feel a moment of panic while you're in whatever weird vehicle you're in during your show, just stay there and fight through it because you've already paid your deposit. So there's no turning back. That's my lesson to the kids. One that I have that is, I had to start doing the revolving door of, of strangers joke that is in the court in one right now. And this actually, this has maybe a 40 or 35% success rate. And it is for the people is that, um, oh, I'm on the apps all the time. And I'm, uh, when I'm traveling and, and uh, I'll invite people over from the apps and my friends get 
nervous. And so the first thing I always do when I get to a new town is Google to see if there have been a rash of disappearing gay men. For one, because I don't want to get murdered. And also because I can't help solve another mystery. <laughs> I'm, there to, I'm there to work, okay? But I will crack the case. And that's the joke. And I think it happens so fast sometimes <laughs> that people are like, wait, what? But again, it is like this mythology of me as like a gay detective. is yeah. so funny to me, that image. But yeah, it never works. I always do it, though. Next, we have Judd Apatow talking about a scene he knew he had to cut, followed by jokes from Maria Bamford, a successfully revived joke from Nicole Byer, and more Roy Wood Jr. There was a sequence in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's such a funny idea that makes no sense at all. Is Steve Carell so afraid to have sex that he has these weird, nervous fantasies that if he starts having sex, he's going to change. And he says, I, just, I don't want to change. How is it, is it going to change me? And then you cut to how he thinks he's going to change, which is basically he turns into like a drug dealing pimp. And he's really mean. I don't know if he was also in a gang. And it, it made no sense. And we shot it. It was so crazy. And we were laughing so hard. And I don't even know if we ever showed an audience. We, we may have noticed in editing that. that this is not going to work at all. <laughs> I had this idea that it's, I just wish it got a bigger laugh of like the, that a gif or gif is like a flame that never goes out. And it's like, it's like a record. It's a, a sign that you love people, a thing that you can always have that they can always have. It says, I love you. Okay. 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 And I was just thought, that was such a power visual visual for me. That's like this, the candle outside the tomb of the unknown soldier. And I was like, yeah, we can't remember everybody who's stacked up by back here, but we got, we still got this going. And I keep hoping that we'll get like this giant laugh. <laughs> it doesn't. But what does get a good laugh is uh, I always like to wash, walk past uh, the Arlington National Cemetery and say, what happened? <laughs> Uh, I've figured out how to get people to laugh at it, but it, it's, oh boy, it's a pedophile joke mm-hmm. and, uh, I love it dearly. <laughs> and it started, I like said it on my friend's podcast, the Doughboys, And I said this, I was like, why do people fuck kids? Kids can't make you come. And then I was like, Ooh, I love that. That's fun. And then, <laughs> so then I wrote a joke about how a child cannot make you come specifically because they're dumb and you have to teach them everything and then that takes up time and if you get your hands on a hot little kid you have limited time <laughs> and so i was i wrote the joke out i was with my best friend in costa rica we we're like in the water having a time of our lives and she goes i think you should tell that joke i think like for this new year this is last new year she's like i think this new year like you tell that joke it's so good and i was like great so then i went to a hot tub uh, Kristen Shaw and Kurt Braunholder show in LA and I was going to close with it because I was like ah oh, man this joke is fucking killer and then I started it which is I've been thinking about pedophiles and why would you fuck a kid a kid can't make you come and this woman literally went stop it <laughs> and I was like um well uh, and that's never happened before where someone has audibly been like this needs to end <laughs> and then I like kept going and then freaked out and was like, my best friend told me to tell this joke. And I said her full name and like really just threw her under the bus. And then Kristen Shaw was working with her and was like, you told her to tell that joke. It was not a good joke. <laughs> but then I 
wrote more. It is now a five minute joke. Mm -hmm. And then I was in my brain. I was like, this, it's so funny. (laughs) And then um, I did Women Crush Wednesday, which is uh, my friend Marcella's show. And I was like, okay, girl. So last week I was here. I forgot to try out this joke about kid fucking uh can i come back and just tell that joke and she was like sure i would love to see this bomb because she's wonderful and i love her uh so then i did it and it crushed so hard because now i present it as do you want to hear a joke nobody likes a woman told me to stop once and then you're like all right well let's see if i get the joke oh i'm cool because i get it yeah so i go to my grave saying that that it is a perfect joke and i shouldn't have to say that nobody likes it So the joke goes like this. (laughs) When I die, I want to be buried in a storage unit so that I can finally be on an episode of Storage Wars. (laughs) I don't know why it works here, but like on stage, (laughs) trust me, it never works because everybody instantly visualizes a casket yeah, or and just the, yeah. pulling up and then just seeing a dead body. Yeah, but. and then you're talking about your own death, which makes people think about their own death. It's, just, it's, <laughs> it's a weird joke, but it just never, never works. I try it at colleges. It definitely doesn't work at casinos with the old people. They don't, <laughs> they don't want to hear about caskets. Yeah, they're like, are you? Is this advice? Like, you're just <laughs> giving an idea. Our last couple jokes that have yet to work come from Taylor Thompson once again, Tignataro. There is a joke that I tried a few times that did like very well. You know when you do a joke that does great on like Twitter, mm-hmm. but you do it on stage and it doesn't work. Uh, I tried a joke that I had, I had done on Twitter and it just audiences did not like it. I tried it maybe two or three times. Uh, where I said uh, I I refer to all the ex boyfriends I've had as a human centipede because I always hold the next one accountable for the previous one's shit. It's good. It is good, but it's it's not what anyone wants to hear about. Nobody likes human centipede references. It's pretty it's like a gross image, but it's comparing it to something emotional. So I'm like, this is fine, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think people can get past the human centipede thing. Years later, I don't think it's funny, but I thought it was funny. And you know, A. D. Miles, the yeah. tonight show showrunner, who was a stand up. I guess might still consider himself to be. He used to request this bit of mine solely to watch me bomb on stage. It is so dumb. I thought it was funny that they say that the camera adds 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then why aren't there blobs just... 10 pound blobs of mass appearing in empty spaces in photos. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Because oh. it would it add 10 pounds to everything. Yeah. So like just to air, there should just be a 10 pound blob of fat that just is, it's so dumb. And it, but it's true. It's like if, if the camera adds that, there should just be. Just pounds, pounds, in the just air. ten pounds of blob everywhere in every picture, <laughs> and just silence except for Miles laughing <laughs> at me. As listeners know, the laughing round has evolved over the last five years. I'll add questions, I'll erase others. You know, sometimes I'll add things specifically for the guest. Um, the next are clips of those moments, starting with John Mulaney's favorite sack lunch bunch songs, learning all of Paula Poundstone's cat's names, and asking Sam Richardson about. 
my favorite Detroiters joke ever. What's the Sack Bunch Lunch song you sing in your head most often? Plain plate of noodles, and I saw a white lady standing on the street just sobbing, and I think about it once a week. I'm that I think everyone I asked it was one of those two songs. Oh, really? Yeah, those it must be the tunes of those songs, but th- literally those com- those came up the most. There are phrases from I saw a white lady standing on the street just sobbing that that stick with me and they come up in certain situations. So I think that's a big reason why that one sticks with me. Like, uh, lady, I know that the sky isn't clear, but it cannot rain every day of the year. Is That's like a thing I think is often around rain. How many cats do you currently have and can you name them all? Well, I have 10. If I didn't name them all, you wouldn't know it. But I can name them all, so I shall. Thank you. I just recently got two kittens because I had eight. And my daughter, Allie, said, Mom, it's like you don't have any. Um, so I just got these great kittens, Lawson and Nash. Um, and then I have Hardy and Theo and Severus and Mrs. Fezziwig and Shamwow and Wednesday, and Tonks, and uh-oh. Um, oh, damn it, there's one missing. Oh, 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 Harrison. Nailed it. Did it. This, is, this might be my favorite joke of the series. I'm just going to ask you about it, which is, it was an episode yeah. that you have the writing credit for, but um, so essentially one of Chrissy's friends dies, and Tim finds himself volunteering to help the widower out around the house and Mm -hmm. essentially the widower goes like my wife used to make me sandwiches now she's sandwiches for worms for worms yeah yeah do you remember when that (laughs) happened i do i do when we were uh, so i in the in the writer's room that was me i was i was like improvising those lines a lot and i was doing the voice so it was like and and so like it was just like whatever yeah, my wife used to do that for me. My wife used to make me sandwiches. Now she's sandwiches for worms. And like, it was, we were just like kind of like laughing at the idea of this guy. So like casting that was so hard because, you know, like when you, sometimes you have a, such a voice in your mind so specifically. Mm-hmm. And like, and of course, like it's my, it's me doing it. So like how unfair to like try and find somebody to be me Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But as an old man, but it worked out. It was great. And I, and, and I can't, oh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name who played it, but he not, he nailed it. Oh, it was so, so terrific. But I, I remember all those jokes and all those oh bits. My God. <laughs> it was so good. Congratulations. We've made it to the end of the Palooza. Th- thank you so much for celebrating our fifth anniversary with us. To, to send us off in style, we're going to play maybe my favorite way an interview has ever ended. So take it away, Jesus and Marrow. <laughs> That's it. Aww. Do you guys want to do a close off? Yo, shout out to New York Magazine. I'm saying, uh, 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 shout out to the Bronx. Not to be confused saying. with New Yorker, which Thank when you. I worked at the library caused me so <laughs> much problems. I was like, it's the same magazine. He was like, it's not. It's not. Okay. New York is the one with the weird cartoons. Yeah. So shout out to letting us rock on this podcast. Shout out to all the listeners. You know, shout out to you. This was fun, man. Thank you. Also, we got, we got New York fitted caps. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So we could be literary while looking felonious. Ah, pow. And the denim. Daddy, listen. So this, is, this is sweet. Listen to that. A little ASMR. Yo, for you. listen. When I throw that on with the Sean John jeans, Woo! it's over. We're rock motherfuckers this summer, boy, Woo! with the Wallabies. 
That's it for another episode of Good One. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Production assistance for this episode from Alejandra Gularte. Gautam Shigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday and for every Thursday for the next five years. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.